Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. Here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, hey, Compass, we're so glad to be back with you this week as we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, as we opened up a brand new series here at Compass entitled, Jesus is Greater. Because as we read the Gospel of Matthew, we read the testimony of Scripture, what it tells us over and over and over again is Jesus is greater. And this sermon was uh, subtitled, Purifying Our Uncleanness. It's exactly what Christ does as he pours out his mercy on us who are needy, Uh, needing His mercy and His grace. He has purified us, and we see this displayed in particular there in verses 1 through 4 of how He is merciful towards the leper, and it shows us how we would receive that mercy of God. So let me read that for you. Matthew chapter 8, starting there in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed Him. And behold, a leper came to Him and knelt before Him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And the preaching point that we derived explicitly from the text was this. Humbly responding to the authority of Jesus is necessary for anyone who desires to obtain the mercy of God. That's important for us to understand is what the leper understood, that his humility, the contrite response that he had in his humble and lowly state to approach uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it took that humble coming to Christ to receive the mercy of God. God, I mean, important for us to learn this wonderful lesson from the leper. And we express this preaching point of the main text in three points. The first point was this. We need to show deference to God's will. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on in our life, whether we are have plenty like Lydia and Acts, who was rich and wealthy and a dealer of of fine goods and purple goods, which was hard to come by in the first century, that color purple, and yet it shows how much wealth she had, but how willing she was to be used by God. Or if you're like Paul that we talked about on Sunday, where he has that thorn in his side, and he's got so much despair and pain, and yet he trusts in Christ and says that in my weakness, Christ is seen as strong in me, and it's when I'm weak that I'm really strong because it's Christ who shows himself in me, even though I may be suffering and even though I may be going through terrible circumstances and trials, that I'm going to defer to God's will. And we see that playing out here in Matthew 8 as the leper in such a terrible situation says, Lord, if you will, not coercive, he's not aggressive, he's not demanding, he's just simply saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And that deference to God's will is so needed in our Christian faith. If we're going to live faithful to the Lord, we have to live deferring to God's will in our life. And so I trust and hope that if you think about being humble, you're first thinking about deferring to God's will uh, in place of our own. Secondly, 
you entrust yourself to the authority of Christ? And I hope I tease this out well for you in the sermon. If we're understanding really Matthew 8, really Matthew chapters 8 and 9, as Jesus is doing all these miraculous works, and really as we think about the entire gospel of Matthew, it's all about the authority of Christ. I mean, it begins with the authority of Christ. You taught, We even talked yesterday about how at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they were amazed at the authoritative teaching of Christ. Here we're watching Christ's authority over disease. Matthew 28 says, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I mean, all of Matthew is about authority. And so what we see here in this picture of the leper coming to Christ, what he's really coming to do is say, you have authority to make me clean. You have authority to meet the need, my greatest need in my life, which is cleansing. And it's important for us to understand as we're reading the Gospel of Matthew is to think about our own need for the authority of Christ, right? All the problems that you have, all the sin-related issues in your life, really your need for eternal life, right? The fact that you, if you will, exist with God in eternity, it is surely because you have trusted in the authority of Christ to make you holy and righteous before God. And so everything about our life has to entail entrusting ourselves to the authority of Christ, which is exactly what you see here with the leper, that we must say, if you will, you cleanse me. And it's that uh, entrusted deference to God's will and the authority of Christ where we put ourselves in the position to obtain the mercy of God. And we can think about that with our own salvation. We can think about that even in our own sanctification as we're going through many different kinds of life situations, the ups and downs of life. And really what we're saying is every day, whether I'm high or whether I'm low, whether I have much or whether I have little, I'm saying, God, I need your mercy. Your mercies are new every day and they're new every day because I need them every day. And I'm going to entrust myself to the authority of Christ whose mercy is new every morning. And then thirdly, point number three there, we're going to eagerly obey Christ's commands. I see verse four and I love it because we see it in a very clear indication here that in verse three, the leper was immediately cleansed from his disease. And immediately after that, Jesus said, now I'm going to give you some commands. Go, show yourself to the priest, offer the gift that Moses commanded as a proof to them. And so we recognize once we've been cleansed, once we've been purified, God still has a lot of work for us to do. He's got a will for us, and he wants to use us to display his glory. And there in verse 4, the the leper is going as a proof to the world, to the priests, to those who saw this cleansing as a proof that he is a bona fide cleansed person, that he has the imprimatur of the authority of Christ on him because he is now clean and now it's proven through the Levitical uh, sacrificial system that Moses had set in place since the Old Testament. And it's just a proof that God was working authoritatively through Christ. And so it was paramount there that the leper was obeying Christ's commands. And in the same way, it's so imperative that you, if you are a 2 Corinthians 5.17 new creation, that you're obeying Christ's commands, that you're cleansed, you're purified, you're being sanctified, go live and obey the commands of Christ. And even when they're difficult, you know, I was talking to the life group leaders in the last podcast, and I told them how even this morning I was talking to a young man that I, am, I was working out with a group of guys this morning, and a young man made a, 
a really good observation about something that I had been studying and reading, but yet I hadn't actually talked much about it in the sermon, when he was like, well, how did this leper who was sitting out on the outskirts of town, outside the city gate, wasn't allowed to work and, and seek employment, he wasn't uh, active in the economy of Galilee, how did he come upon the means to make and procure the, the animals for the sacrifice and the objects that he needed to sacrifice? I mean, he didn't have money. He didn't have means. And uh, I resonated with that because I thought the same thing to myself, and I, I was trying to do some studying. And, you know, there, there's a chance that as you think about the lepers, that there was a way in which the priest, in some instances, would provide the means uh, for some of these sacrifices on behalf of the lepers. But I, I read some of the text in Scripture that did seem to suggest that the leper had to come up with some of this sacrificial uh, means on his own, whether it was this goat or lamb, or if they were poor, uh, the dove and, and the pigeon uh, and uh, the hyssop and the branches and the oil and, and these things that he had to have. There, there was an indication in Scripture that he had to come upon some of the means of these things on his own. And so what does that mean in its application? That means this guy who didn't seem to have the necessary means to get this stuff still was commanded by Christ to go get it anyway. Now, that doesn't mean that we have a God who doesn't care. That means we have a God who often calls us to do things that we don't necessarily have the means for in the moment, but that he's going to provide for. Because if he's told me to go do something, then I'm going to, I'm going to rest assured that he's going to give me the means to do it, even though I may not have it in my possession in that moment. And so eagerly obeying Christ's commands doesn't mean we only do the things that we logically notice that we have the means to do in that moment. Really, what we're saying is I'm just going to trust God that I know if he's commanded and told me to do it, that he's going to provide for me the means to do it, even if it's not easy, even if it's not simple, even if it's not the thing that I necessarily want to do today. And I even built on that with the with the thought of this leper. I mean, even if he has the means to 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 gain all of these necessary elements for the sacri- sacrifice, I mean, he's still, as he's clothed a lot of ways like the lepers were, as he looks like a leper, he's walking through town and he has to assume, wow, what are these people thinking about me? What are they saying about me? Uh, they, they probably don't want anything to do with me. Even though I'm healed, I still look really, 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 really messy. And uh, we actually see in, in Mark's account of the leper, that he was going to tell everybody, hey, this is what Jesus did in my life. And I know Jesus said, hey, don't do that. But I mean, he couldn't even help it. I mean, he was just so amazed at what Christ was calling him to do as he's on his way to go make this sacrifice that Christ commanded him to do. He just couldn't help but tell people, look at me. I know I look like, uh, you know, uh, I'm dressed like a leper and I look like a leper in so many ways, but I'm cleansed because I'm no longer a leper. I was blind. Now I see I was a leper. Now I'm clean you know, that kind of picture. And um, I, I trust as you are a new creation in Christ that your life reflects that same kind of excitement and eagerness to obey the commands of Christ. As always, I want to encourage you guys in your application questions, be thoroughly applicational. Be talking about how I can actually apply these questions in my life today and tomorrow. We're not just talking about big things. Often we want to know the big things, but what about the, the normative things? What about how does God want me to wake up this morning? What does God want me to do with my life this morning? Does God want me to spend time with him? Then I need to spend time with him. Does he want me to live in an understanding way with my wife? Then I need to live in an understanding way with my wife. Does he not want me to exasperate my children? He wants me to love them and bring them up in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to do those things, right? I'm going to apply 
my life? You know, if I'm living as a single and I'm asking, how does God, how does God desire and, and want me to live as a single as I'm preparing for what God has for me in the future? I've got to recognize that God has a will for me today, and that's to live for him above all things. And so really what we want to do in these application questions is really get down to the nitty-gritty in my own life today. How do I live for the Lord right now? Not how do I live for the Lord tomorrow or next year, which that may come up often in our application questions, but specifically, how do I live for the Lord right now? today. I trust as you get into your Bible study question of the week, as you prepare and think about your men's and women's Bible study, that you will be uh, drawn to a, uh, a quite a, a deep affection for your church family as you read that first question there, as you're actually studying the word for affection and how deep Paul's affection was for the Philippians, and likewise how deep our affection ought to be for one another. So I'm looking forward to you guys diving into your Bible study question of the week in Philippians chapter one. All right, we had a couple of questions come in uh, for our Q&A uh, sec- segment of our podcast. And as always, at the bottom of your note sheet, there is a QR code. You scan that and you can submit a question uh, and about the sermon, a question you have about the sermon, uh, something you would like me to do my best to answer and articulate, and I will do my best. And I always love this part of our podcast, because if you're wondering about it, odds are someone else is too. And this is always a wonderful interactive way for uh, us to interact with the preaching of God's Word. And so with that, here is our first question. To be able to defer to God's will, we need to know it. Well, absolutely. The sermon briefly referred to testing if our actions or decisions will bring pleasure to God, and that works well for daily actions. However, for life's big decisions, what steps can we take to seek God's will? Is it too foolish to expect God to speak to us? So let me answer this in a few different parts here. One, we do talk about making sure we're making decisions that are pleasing God. And it does, as you stated, work well for daily actions. And, you know, obeying God in the daily things is often uh, the way that the larger picture falls into place. You know, it's often as we're waiting for the big picture, waiting for the big picture, we don't understand that God is uh, composing a tapestry. And often when you look at the sewing of, of tapestry and you look at the back of it and it looks like a big jumbled mess, but it's when that thing gets flipped over and you look at it, there's this beautiful, ornate, vivid picture of great detail of what God has been doing all along. And we often t- make too little about the little things that we don't realize that God is using all the little things to put in place the big things. And so my encouragement and counsel to you is, you know, doing these little things, the little obedient actions toward God in your faith toward Him is part of figuring out life's big picture and the big decisions that you need to make. And even more than that, as we continue answering that question, big decisions can also just be answered with biblical wisdom. Uh, For example, as we think about marriage, there are few larger decisions in life than who we are to marry. marry. Now, I understand maybe what you're talking about here is how can I know God's secret will, which I can't tell you, you know, God's secret will, because it is by its very definition a secret will. But uh, I can say, okay, well, I can't tell you the name of your future spouse, but I can tell you what God commands you to do. You know, if you're a man looking for a gal, God has called you that you you must not be unequally yoked. That's a negative way to say something positive. You need a faithful woman. If you're a faithful man, you need a faithful woman. 
You need a woman who loves the Lord. You want you need a woman who loves the local church. You need a woman who would would sacrificially love and give her life for the Lord and ultimately that she'd be a woman who would fall under the leadership of your home. And if you can find a woman like that, then I can tell you what uh, regardless, you know, what she's good at or not good at, if she's good at doing those things, she's going to be a wonderful wife and she's going to be a wonderful partner in ministry together. And so although I can't tell you the name of your future spouse, I can tell you, here's what God wants your spouse to, to be like. And, and this is the person you need to be looking for as you're finding a spouse. In the same way for you gals, you need to be finding a man who's going to work hard, who's going to be a good head of your household, who's going to be a man uh, that isn't easily carried away by the pleasures of this life. He's a man who's, who's steadfast and immovable in his faith and one who's willing to sacrifice and do without some of the finer things in life so he can be about the main things in life. And a man who loves the Lord and wants to run hard after the Lord with other godly men in his life. You know, that's the kind of man that you need. Right? We don't need the, the shiniest man in, in, the, in the garage. What we need is a man that I know that when life gets tough, he's going to be the kind of man who stays firm in his faith, who's going to help you and guide you in your family. I mean, we want men who are going to have children who are going to teach them how to be godly men. I don't want to have to, if you're a gal, I don't want you marrying a man that you're, that you're, that's a boy that you're going to have to train up to be a man. I want him to be a man so he can train his boys to be men. And so with that being said, there's a lot of biblical wisdom to make the really, really big decisions. Now, the problem is, you, if you want to know God's secret will, I can't tell you God's secret will. I don't know the name of your spouse. I don't know the title. Uh, I don't know your job title of your next promotion. I can't tell you those things. Uh, I also, the last part of your question, I wouldn't expect in my own life, and I, and I hope not in yours, to make my life's big decisions by waiting on God's audible voice, right? I, I just, I don't believe that that is the, the way that God is speaking to us in this time. And we, we have plenty of ample evidence in Scripture, uh, the way that God talks to us now, that's quite different than what we see often in the Old Testament and sometimes in sparse parts of the New Testament. I mean, we have Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. This says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our, for, our fathers by the prophets. So we see that there was a time God spoke in many ways to our fathers. I mean, he spoke in a cloud. He spoke in the, he spoke in the fiery uh, the bush. You know, he, he, he spoke in a lot of ways. But verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So I see in that scripture there clearly that God is speaking to us particularly through his son. And so if I want to know what God has to say about something, I need to go see what Jesus has to say about something in, in the text of Scripture that Christ appeals to as he lived his life and he pointed us to as uh, the, dire the director and, and really the, the, the means in which we could hear God speak through his word. And so I'm not going to be waiting on an audible voice of God. I'm going to go to his word and I'm going to trust the testament uh, that God has given us in, in the Bible. Uh, another scripture is Second Peter one and sixteen, uh, and through twenty one, and it's you know Peter saying that we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Christ. He's like, I'm not just telling you myths. We didn't make up these stories, and he says we were eyewitnesses to the majesty of Christ. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We remember that account in Matthew. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, 
for we were with him on the holy mountain. They're talking about his transfiguration there. I mean, they saw him. Peter, James, and John saw him there in the transfiguration in verse, tw- verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And he's saying all these things that the prophets told about, we have fully confirmed those in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and you will be careful to pay attention to it until Christ comes. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the testimony of Scripture, that these men who wrote the Scriptures, these prophets, these apostles, were men that God was carrying along by the Holy Spirit to give us the Word of God. And so I encourage you, that's the way to know the will of God, by looking at the Word of God. The last question here was this, can you explain a little more about leprosy being any kind of skin disease? I've never heard that before and seems awfully extreme. For example, would that include acne or other simple skin issues people have today? Well, a great place I would point you is really to uh, a study Bible. I think most of your study Bibles would tell you uh, that leprosy was was really any kind of skin disease. Uh, You know, I can see, uh, yeah, let's see. I have the ESV study Bible here that I, that I studied in your regular commentaries, uh, like the one we sell in the, in our uh, bookstore, uh, the one by RT France, the introductory commentary, it'll teach you about that. Your MacArthur study Bible, if you have, if you have one of those would also uh, tell you the same thing there. Uh, let's see, uh, lots of places. Honestly, it's a pretty firm and uh, universal understanding that leprosy wasn't a particular disease, although it is in, in our day. I mean, leprosy uh, in our day is very much a, uh, a known and, and uh, identified disease. I, I'm trying to look real quick, and even in my commentary, I can uh, show you what, I can tell you exactly what that uh, diseases in our own time. I'm actually trying to, oh, Hansen's disease. I mean, we, we know it today as Hansen's disease. That's leprosy. I mean, even this commentary, which is the Pillar New Testament uh, commentary here, uh, he says, you know, leprosy denotes a specific ailment, but leprosy uh, can have been a, a number of skin diseases in, uh, in the biblical world. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's a good, I guess, basic answer for you there that really leprosy was many kinds of uh, skin diseases and ailments. Now, really to get to the heart of your question, it sounds really, really extreme. Well, for the first thing I want to say is when we think about the holiness of God, it is pretty extreme, right? I mean, so we're going to say, yes, if we think about the the Mosaic law. We understand that I mean, there were a lot of laws um, that had to do with this extreme nature of God's holiness. Like if people had like a finger cut off, well, they weren't allowed to be there in the temple yard. I mean, they weren't allowed in so many ways to partake in the things uh, of the sacrificial system to as a symbol of their relationship with God because they weren't whole, right? And that's the idea of holy is that they're whole, right? I mean, they were blemished. There were problems. There was something about their life that did not reflect 
uh, the pure and holiness that God had created uh, since the garden. And so in a real way, yeah, I mean, the holiness of God is really, really extreme. And there were many reasons why people were, uh, you know, uh, they were not allowed to be in the fellowship of the body, particularly as they were relating to God at the temple. Now, to think about leprosy. Uh, not all cases of leprosy included long-term quarantines like the one that we see in Matthew 8. I mean, you can read Leviticus 13 and 14, and you can see there were some of these that would last as short as seven days. So say you did maybe have, you know, eczema, or maybe you had a, a, just a bad case of the pimples, and, you know, you're popping them, and they got infected, and, you know, that, that's not so extreme. Uh, you would have to be quarantined, making sure that infection is not going to turn into something worse. And, you know, you go out and, and you uh, come back a week later after you've been quarantined for a while and the, and the priest looks at you and says, okay, you're ready to go. I mean, so not all of the cases of leprosy were, you know, these long-term uh, skin diseases that were incurable. Uh, some of them were very curable. And there was places in Leviticus that teach how to deal with those skin disease, the leprosy cases that were just, you know, minor uh, impositions on the people that they were dealing with. Now, they were unclean, and they still had to go through a process, but it wasn't nearly as uh, comprehensive as the one that we see there in Matthew chapter 8. But yes, God is very holy, and that's the whole point of all of this, what we're talking about, being unclean, is, you know, we're not just talking about Oh, you know, I just have a little bit of a stain on me. It's like, no, we we're unclean before God. And this was just another case study and another uh, way for uh, the people to recognize what it meant to be in need of cleansing, in need of the holiness of God. And leprosy was just one of many cases uh, where people learned about God's holiness and our uh, our sinfulness. And Christ there answers that with a resounding, I will, I do will to cleanse you in the same way that he talks to us today, that he wills to cleanse us. Well, thank you for those questions, guys. And I want to end with a few announcements. We announced our nationally equipped conference that we're hosting along with, you know, we're going to invite all of our sister churches down here to the hill country of Texas. And we're going to talk about what is the gospel. And I want to encourage you to go on to the equippedconference.com right now. And you can learn about all the things that we're going to be doing uh, at this conference. We have a lot of wonderful speakers that I know personally that are dear to me and my ministry. And uh, we're going to be learning about what is the gospel. We're going to have all these awesome breakout sessions. We're going to be learning about a lot of things. You can pick from all these kinds of breakout sessions. Uh, the use of apologetics and evangelism, how to evangelize to Mormons, the biblical importance of understanding hell. You're going to learn about evangelizing in the workplace. Uh, you're going to be looking at the problem with the prosperity gospels. There's even a woman's track where there's uh, breakout sessions that are for the la ladies only, uh, sessions like this, how wives should, should and shouldn't evangelize their husbands. There's another one on Saturday night how and when to share the gospel with children. I know that's a big question that we always get here. How and when should we uh, share the gospel with our children? Be learning like other things, how to evangelize, quote-unquote, people who think they're good, how to evangelize Roman Catholics and Jehovah's Witnesses. Those are two different breakouts there. I mean, so many uh, wonderful breakout sessions amongst the plenary sessions and other things that we'll be doing there. We just want to give you more tools and resources to be uh, gospel-empowered uh, parts of God's church. And so I encourage you, sign up for the Equipped Conference, our National Equipped Conference that we'll be hosting here June 14th, 15th, 
and 16th. As always, if you're listening to this and have not gone through Exploring Compass, I want to encourage you to sign up for the next Exploring Compass in March that you could become a fully committed participant here at Compass Bible Church. We have our discipleship now for our 6th through 12th grade students on February the 14th through the 16th, where they're going to be learning at this winter retreat that we're having here about how to have an ambitious faith from Hebrews 11 and 12. So I want to encourage you, you have a 6th grader through a 12th grader, make sure they get signed up today. It's $75, but at the beginning of February, it goes up to 85 So I want to encourage you, go ahead and sign up on the prices where it's at and get your students signed up for our winter uh, retreat here in New Braunfels, Texas. Last two announcements, women's Bible study starts back up on the 28th. Gals from 6th grade up, we encourage you to uh, come on the 28th at 9 at 9 o'clock here on campus at Compass Bible Church uh, to enjoy breakfast and fellowship, teaching from God's Word as you guys open up Philippians uh, and as you break out after that into your small groups to discuss the application questions. And last but not least, you, you received an update from our Next Steps project. We have reached 85% of our 100% goal of $150,000. Praise the Lord for that. And we are praying that God would provide the rest of what we need to begin doing the work here at our facility to expand our capacity to make disciples of our next generation here at Compass Bible Church. So be praying and be considering your giving as we think about what God's going to do here in 2024 and beyond. All right, church, I'm thankful for each of you. I look forward to your life groups. I look forward to the growth that uh, is going to happen in Christ as you gather this week. And I look forward to seeing you again next week.